0: Elizabeth Evans, and I'm a homeschooling mom of four young kids. I'm figuring this out as I go, but I'm here to talk to Bonnie, who has been writing and speaking on the subject for over a decade and has been homeschooling for three decades.
1: My name's Bonnie Landry. I've got seven kids, they're ages 13 to 33. I've been homeschooling for 29 years. I'm a wife, a mom, a grandma, I'm I'm a speaker and a writer, and I'm an advocate of of joy. So uh, we're here to provide this podcast so that homeschooling can look like you imagined it to be. So hi, Elizabeth. Hi. (laughs) Good evening. How are you? I'm
0: doing great. It's nice to meet one of your daughters.
1: I know. Yeah, this is really thrilling for me too. So this is my daughter, Lucy, for those of you who are listening. Uh, Lucy lives across the country from me uh, with her family, and she's just on the brink of embarking on the whole homeschool career. So um, because she's here for a few weeks, we thought it'd be fun to have her on the show. So here she is. Yeah,
0: I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Very fun. Okay. Can you share your, your family dynamic, your kids' ages maybe? Yes. So
2: my oldest just turned four. uh, And he's really into learning. He wants to learn about absolutely everything. So I wasn't planning on really getting started with homeschool, anything sort of uh, planned for for at least until next year, maybe even a couple of years. But he's showing a lot of interest. So I'm starting to kind of think about, well, maybe we should spend five or 10 minutes sitting down and doing something a little bit more
0: yeah, is there anything in particular that interests him? Reading,
2: math? He's all of really it? into numbers right now. Okay. So, yeah, which is funny because I, I don't remember being into numbers as a little kid. Yeah. I, I liked math in high school, but yeah, he just is all about the numbers. Okay. Um, so if you, we'll be driving places and he'll say, Mom, what's four plus five? <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's pretty cute.
1: Yeah. You exactly. can tell even here, he, he likes to learn. He likes to draw. He likes to, he likes shapes and he likes to talk about
2: things. So, yes. And yeah. All about yeah. the animal facts yeah. right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: That sounds a lot like my son. He just turned six today, but he, he wants to be a mathematician. He loves numbers. He remembers <laughs> you know numbers.
1: Already. That's yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, he, we read a book. What was it called? I'll, I'll look it up, but um, it's about a famous mathematician, and he just loved the book.
1: Cool. So, yeah. That's pretty astute for a six-year-old.
0: Yeah. He started, yeah. he did uh, second grade math with his brother last year and is going to move on to oh, third grade amazing. math this year.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's Sorry. incredible. That's just proof, again, we shouldn't slot people into a grade <clears throat> per se, right. right? Yeah. Because there's such a range of who will get things at what age, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I didn't mean to do like a bragging plug there at all, but yeah, <laughs> I'm
1: we're proud. Pretty, <laughs> we're, we're pretty uh, judging you right now, yeah. <laughs> All, all right. right, should we get into some questions?
0: Yes, yes, I have some questions. And Lucy, you said you have some questions also? Yes.
1: Awesome. She yes, could just ask me on the phone, but
2: okay. <laughs> it's more fun it's to do it more this way. <laughs> We
0: love having you, so. Yeah. <laughs> all right so i'm going to start off with um just a really simple question i think um with a child learning to write and spell does copy work lead to dictation at all and then there's some subset questions after that
1: sure <clears throat> so for, i'm just going to sort of define these two things so that people understand the difference between copy work and dictation so copy work is putting something in front of the child and having them copy it out the way they see it, right? Dictation is reading something out to the child and having them take it down with as much help as necessary for them to have it done correctly. That's my version of dictation. There are other approaches to dictation. Um, So could copy work lead to dictation? Yes, technically I think it could. Um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not quite sure what the, where, where the, what the person's wondering about dictation in, in particular, uh, but if, if you felt like the child was willing to do copy work and not willing to do dictation, then that might be a good lead-in to, to dictation. Um, it might be a good way to familiarize them with letters and with the symbols that are involved in language. But uh, dictation is really where the learning all happens, right? Yeah. So, you're getting exposure, but not necessarily the opportunity to look at language under a microscope. Okay. Right. So,
0: some of the subsets of the questions um, is kind of twofold. Do spelling lists work at all? Um, and then this question kind of relates back to the original one. Does short dictation work even if the child has no idea how to spell? So, maybe that's where that first question originates. Yeah, gotcha. for somebody okay. that doesn't know how to spell. <laughs>
1: so spelling words um my kids in general are all really good spellers except one who i I stopped dictation with early because you know he just he was very very academic in a math and science way and he wanted to just move forward so um so i thought okay this might be a this might be good to just let him do that um but in the end you know it didn't really help spelling right but in general so i'm pretty convinced that dictation is a real um aid to learning how to spell because i've never really done spelling lists with my kids uh you know from first-hand experience i can't say okay that doesn't work but from talking to other parents what they know is that kids who have difficulty learning to spell will learn the list do the test and then promptly forget everything that was on the test right i used to think i'm a naturally good speller and i think several of my kids are as well that spelling never was hard for me um however i always assumed it was people who read were good spellers and that's actually not true i've met several people over the years who are really you know voracious readers and can't spell okay um so just sort of looking at the cross-section of people that you know, in my world, I've heard it many, many times said, yeah, we did a spelling list, the kids studied the words, and then forgot them as soon as they didn't need to know them anymore for the test, right?
0: Um,
1: So I would say that that's not an awesome way to approach spelling. However, uh, Andrew Pudua has an amazing video that I would really recommend people getting where he talks for an hour just about spelling. And he said, basically, what spelling is, is is um, gathering random bits of information that don't really relate, (laughs) right? In English in particular, you know, spelling, there's so many anomalies to the rules that spelling is really a um, a memorization of random bits of information. So he said there's different ways that we can memorize random bits of information. One of them is um, repetition, 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 repetitions, right? So over a long period of time, drip, 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 drip. Drip, 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 which education accomplishes? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is to um, to people remember things when they were afraid. Okay. <laughs> and so he says, if you scare the child, <laughs> that they will remember the spelling of something if you scare them, right? Like if a teacher yells at them or something like that.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, not recommended in general. <laughs> right. right. But it is a way that we remember things. The other thing he said is find something funny. Uh, about the thing you're trying to remember the random bit of information in this case spelling find something funny about it and then that will help you remember it so that's also a tool I really used long before I heard that talk but it made me realize why why dictation works for spelling is that I would make up silly little rhymes or silly little um, images for the kids you know like like the word friend I would say well you can remember because you fried your friend right <laughs> oh, so you can remember gosh. how to spell fried and friend
2: <laughs> I was going to mention that exact one that one still <laughs> sticks with me because of that little
1: yeah so humor, yeah. use a bit of humor and so when I listen to this talk and it, it's outstanding uh, as a talk. I don't know if you can get it for free on his website, IEW.com, but uh, it's worth buying. And even if you shared it with a, a couple of moms, you know, that were, you know, in your group or something, watched it together. Um, really, really good information, but it made yeah. me realize why dictation is so effective for spelling. Okay. Okay. And so yeah. he, he addresses that idea as like why spelling lists aren't really the the best way to learn to spell. Right. Yeah, yeah, my
0: mom taught me how to spell together by saying to get her. And it worked. I've never
1: forgotten. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, who was it? Was it you who, one of my kids came up with their own way of remembering how to spell necessary? Was that you? Uh, necessary. Necessary, right. <laughs> necessary. And I even do that sometimes when I'm spelling it, like, oh yeah, that's one of the words that trips me up, so Necessary. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so I remember what was part two of that particular question?
0: Does short dictation work? Like a short dictation, I think is what they mean. Even if the child has no idea how to spell.
1: Yeah. So what, what's important to remember is that spelling is really one of the later skills we're starting to learn when we read, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's happening concurrently with reading, but Spelling, um, if a child's learning dictation prior to being able to read or spell, what they're learning is letter sounds, letter formation, phonics, um, you know, diphthongs, letters that go together, uh, learning how, where to capitalize, um, how to actually form a letter with a pencil. And they're really, really learning how to read at that stage of the game, right? So some kids right. come into their dictation already having a, a bit of a handle on reading but most of my kids learn to read via dictation, okay? So even if they don't know how to spell, there are many things to be learning, okay? But I think the number one thing that children learn in dictation at that age is learning how to attend, right? Just for one minute, two minutes, five minutes, however long you can get them to attend for, right? Mm -hmm. That's really the goal. And, you know, I've mentioned this before, but we learn to attend by seeing somebody attend. So we're really modeling that. So this is where we want to shut our phone off or, or not be trying to load the dishwasher while they're finishing their word or whatever. We're attending for that few minutes. And right. that's the real value in dictation. You know, you're, you're teaching your child to attend by attending to them.
2: Right. You're also teaching spelling though, within Absolutely. the context. Yeah. So whether or not we can spell or, or not spell doesn't really seem relevant because you're teaching spelling exactly
1: so so you know you're yeah really primary spelling in the same way that you're you're not teaching math when your child plays hide and seek and you're you know teaching them how to count you're not teaching math but you are right right so yeah so it's a good point
0: during our dictation episode you shared one of your kids just you did the same piece of dictation for like a year or something. Right. And it was really, yeah. what was it? I love mommy. Or I something? love mama. So when yeah. Lydia
1: started, she started to doing dictation young, cause she's the youngest and she saw all her siblings doing it. And it was, you know, it's an enjoyable thing. Yeah. And so she wanted to do dictation. She was probably four, maybe just turned four. And, um, and I just said, well, what would you like to write? And she said, I would like to write, I love mama. And so she wrote that for about six months, but she would change the letters. Like she would make the letters really beautiful and sometimes they would become animals or sometimes they become oh. flowers or whatever. So she would change these beautiful fonts and wrote yeah. I love mama in multiple different ways. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. so sweet. You know, it is sweet, right? But she was learning to attend and she's learning how to make those particular letters, right? Yeah. We did move on from those letters eventually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there was no hurry, right? There was yeah. no hurry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: All right, Lucy, would you like to ask a question now?
2: Yeah, sure. So my question, and I know that you've dealt with this particular challenge before um, in one of my siblings in particular, <laughs> but it just so no happens names. that I was kind of in high school and wasn't really present for the more one-on-one work that you were doing with said sibling. Um, how? What are some tips and tricks for teaching a child who knows everything.
1: Oh yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and and will vehemently defend the facts that they know whether or not they are They're true.
1: <laughs> okay, that's a great question. So at some point reality does you know sort of come into play but you know, for some children that takes you know years and years and years uh so yeah when the facts are malleable <laughs> i would never concede to the fact of something that wasn't an actual fact but i would always feign surprise <laughs> so, that was one of my tips is like. Wow, I have never heard that version of that before. Or wow, that must be a really interesting way of looking at the world. <laughs> so, so yes, I've noted noticed this actually that there's yes. um, you know that facts are fluid. Yeah. <laughs> right. Such you as,
2: know? look at that beautiful arbutus tree. That's not an arbutus. It's a cedar. <laughs> uh, oh. Everything I'm looking at looks like an arbutus. You yeah. know. <laughs>
1: And you, I mean, you can also make a joke out of it. Something like, we did this a lot with said person, um, is like, oh my gosh, look, the bark is peeling off of this tree that you think is a cedar, just like an Arbutus tree peels off. (laughs) Wow,
2: leaves look
1: so much like an Arbutus. I thought for sure, this must be an Arbutus tree. (laughs) So, you know, that kind of joking around without actually, you know, making it an issue that where they're gonna get bent out of shape about it, right? Right. Yeah, Yeah, because those people get bent out of shape
2: easily. And and I mean, at the age of four, that's fine. But mm-hmm. moving forward, you know, when we get right. to seven, eight, and we're teaching facts that it, it does matter whether they know the facts or not. Right. Like, yeah. What are...
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, what we did in that case was often just say... You know what this is actually what happened and um you know i appreciate you've got other information on that but you know just note it <laughs> just noted we've actually you know given you the correct information on that you know and then leave it alone because it's just one of those things that isn't worth having a fight about right? but at the same time you don't want them to have the upper hand in the sense that oh, but you agreed that this was true. Well, no, of course I didn't, you know. So, so you know, probably by that age he'll yeah. be past that. But it's one of those things that for sure at seven or eight, you know, this particular child on mine was saying, you know, no, that's that's the truth, and you know, we would have to say, well, you know, it's actually not true, but um, you know, but it's not something to argue with you about. So let's move forward and go yeah. on to topic B.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. we actually so, ran into that recently with playing a game. We got out a game we hadn't played in a couple months and one child remembered the directions perfectly and the other was right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you sadly have to go back to the source and say, you know, look it up in the encyclopedia yeah. or, and again, I think that it's, it's no, there's no point in saying, see, I told you so just like, Oh, look at that. The encyclopedia says black. Yeah. Right. Um, or oh look at that the rule sheet says blah so you know that would be nice to play it that way but um I think we're going to follow the rules actually
2: yeah (laughs) yeah so uh, related to to that kind of maybe getting to the root of that challenge (laughs) this is more about child rearing but how do you think you can foster humility in your children this I mean, modeling obviously is the the best option that comes to my mind. But are there other sort of ways that you can approach fostering humility in your children? Right. Okay, so I'm just going to, for clarity's sake,
1: for listeners, when the child say is wrong... Or when they are misbehaving, or was there is there specific circumstances? In general, I think, in general, I okay. I
2: see this sort of being right about things that they aren't actually right about. Right, being a small uh, glimpse at how a lack of humility might play out. But I'm wondering, in general, how you would foster humility in your in your children.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: Which I think maybe can can be more of a challenge when you're homeschooling because you're both the parent and the teacher. You don't have an external teacher who is the teacher and the child just respects the teacher as the teacher.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that we, you know, I mean the child we're we're referring to isn't the only child who, you know, insisted that they were right about something, but certainly that was that was the go-to.
2: That yes. Sort of yeah.
1: That um that sometimes a private conversation, especially as as, you know, they got older, uh, private conversation, you know, is that, you know, this really affects your younger siblings when you insist that you're right about something. You know, when the facts show that that you're not but certainly a private would be the way that we would have handled that um you know and and also allowing ourselves to be wrong like if if we're wrong about something to be able to say oh yeah I looked that up and actually you were right about that or actually you know I was wrong about that or whatever so that was one thing but um uh you know private conversation and even at bedtime like say sometimes with kids like that who are kind of I mean, kids like that tend to be sort of pigheaded, right? To, right. For lack of a better word. Um, and so even once you've proved them wrong, right? And that's a sensitive issue. We have to go about that in a delicate way um, because it's going to lead to greater pigheadedness in a sense, right? So, okay, we did this thing. We, um, we found out actually what the facts are. And, uh, you know, and, and so it sheds the light on that person being wrong okay you know and these are people who don't want to be wrong right okay so first of all sometimes finding out the facts outside of the circumstances right like actually you know I did find out I know you were really adamant about that but I did find this out and so you know uh here's here's the facts on that you know and I mean I have even experienced things like well the encyclopedia must be wrong (laughs) you know right and uh and that you know okay well you know you can, you can think what you want. I'm not going to argue with you about it, but uh, you know, just know that the encyclopedia is saying something different than you were saying. So I, I think that's one way. But humility is rarely fostered by being direct. You know, like directly calling someone out in a public way, right? right? Um, and even as adults, that's something that if we're adamant about something and we're wrong, we tend to want to defend ourselves. Mm -hmm. as adults you know okay well you know I'm because you're then not only are you believe you're right but you're also then embarrassed right? right so you know we of course we want to avoid embarrassment but but at the same time having to sort of say actually you know this is this is the way it is so one of the things that we found probably the most helpful was saying you know it's kind of giving bad example in a private way it's giving bad example to your siblings to tell them x y and z you know, when those things aren't necessary to, or you're not necessarily sure of yourself. If you want to tell them something and you're not sure, then say, I think, blah, blah, blah. Preface whatever you want in, I think, right? That way you're not going to have to to save face, right? Mm -hmm. It's not as hard to save face. If you say, I know, blah, blah, blah. It's much different than saying, I think right right so so yeah um so public embarrassment definitely not not um going to actually help growth and humility right Right. but bringing it up privately and and you know that's hard too sometimes but it it does need to be done right yeah yeah Yeah. and also sorting out what's pretend which of course at his (laughs) age a lot of it's pretend right yeah but at seven eight nine you know as they get older um it's no longer pretend it's that i know you know, this, and I, you know what i found over the years is that people who, m- you know, my own children included in this group, but, <clears throat> excuse me, people who are really adamantly wanting to be right are really insecure. Yeah. Right. And so, um, if we are kind of understanding of that, you know, that this is an insecurity and that's why they have a need to be right so badly mm-hmm. that, um, it maybe helps us sort of come alongside that particular problem better. But all my life, even people I knew when I was in my twenties, I met, would meet people who were sort of, you know, in a sense like brassy or obnoxious or whatever. They were often the most insecure people that I knew. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so that might help us in terms of dealing with, with our kids. Right. Yeah. Are those right.
0: Helpful? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm thinking uh, my oldest has, pretty, it's not officially diagnosed, but definitely ADHD. And so he does a lot of that kind of stuff, like right. makes those, you know, claims and says they're true. And, <laughs> and um, it can, it can be really tough because it's, it's not really coming from a place of insecurity. It's coming from just like, he thinks he knows these things, right. And he, right. Wants, he wants this, um, not power, that's not the right word, but I, I think he wants to feel like important, like, you know, right. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I think that has played out for us in our family too. Like I, I want to be the guy mm-hmm. you know, who knows the things and, and, you know, I mean, that's hard. Those are sort of a bit of life's hard knocks, but again, right. you know, calling them up publicly isn't going to help that, right. but you know, private conversation is going to be more helpful, although they still may be embarrassed. They still may be whatever. Um, you know, there's a great phrase that Gordon Neufeld uses. I've talked about Gordon Newfeld, the author of, um, let the, what's hold, what's, on, to your hold on to your kids. And, um, he says, you know, when, when situations are happening, sensitive topics with kids like something like this or oh lying gosh. or trauma. Okay. He says, touch the wound, touch it and, and draw your hand back. So just like, well, that was, you got really frustrated with me when, um, when I said that that the encyclopedia said something different than you. And, um, you know, maybe that felt a little bit embarrassing to you. And some kids are going to cry. Some kids are going to freak out. Some kids are going to ignore you. Right. But he said, just touch the wound. Right. And that's a really gentle way of, of being tender with a delicate situation. Right. And I, that phrase has stuck with me a lot. Right.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, Okay, um, how did you teach differently based on
1: gender? Or did you
0: even teach differently based on gender?
1: Um, I would say that, and I mean, this is very much a boy, strongly a boy girl issue, but not always, okay? That I gave a lot of latitude for physical um, play mm-hmm. in relationship to sit down work. okay and so you know the structure of my family I had three girls and then i had three boys and then i had a daughter right um of my girls lucy was really really physically active she needed a lot of physical play and this came really came to light before i ever had boys i remember reading out loud to the girls and i said you know lucy was maybe you mind me hearing this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know four or something and i said um you know lucy sit still you know sit still i'm trying to read to you and she, and she i said you can't listen when you're you know she was cartwheeling in the living room mm-hmm. and i said and she goes mom that's how i listen <laughs> right and i thought oh okay i mean i listen better when my hands are busy actually right yeah not all kids do though and it appears that kids are listening if they're sitting quietly snuggled up against you or whatever it's not always the case right and it made me really rethink like okay when i'm reading to them i want to give them things to do right Mm -hmm. but in terms of so my kids always had things to do when i sat with them um so i would say of my kids lucy definitely fit into sort of the more of the boy framework that there she needed a lot of physical activity sometimes just Mm -hmm. with her hands you know play-doh or whatever while i was reading but sometimes just getting out and so for my boys they would say sit down and do dictation and math and i mean literally they're doing you know five or ten minutes of each thing then can we go out and kick the soccer ball around can we go out and play um a you know can we whatever and i would say yes you know, you got 20 minutes, you got half an hour, and so they would have a lot of physical activity. Uh, the girls required that less. Yeah. Lucy would climb trees; that was her main thing. You know, she needed to get outside. I think that was really important. The girls, I would say, you know, get outside every day. The boys had to be outside. Lucy had to be outside every day. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so partly a gender issue. So for sure, all my boys needed that. Yeah. You know. Of my four girls, three of them, you know, could have sat inside Mm -hmm. um, or could have been more sedentary throughout the day. But, um, but Lucy definitely needed physical activity, right? Okay. Outdoor air, you know? Yeah. And
2: I know you've also mentioned this in an episode before, but with the boys, you did a lot more sort of visual, like you did watch a lot more shows and movies and things like that. Yeah. Historical movies. we didn't do as much when I was younger
1: yeah um, and also I did a lot of projects with the girls so when they were young like those first you know say 15 years of homeschooling when the boys were still small um, we did a lot of projects right and the girls really got jazzed about that it was very exciting to work mm-hmm. towards some sort of project like you know putting on a feast or putting on a, a play or putting on whatever the era of boys as the boys sort of became into their, you know, teen and preteen years. Yeah. Just not. And the girls were now, you know, sort of done school. Um, not the same. They just did not get excited about that in the same way, but they did get excited about movies. Like if we were doing a historical era, if we watched a historical movie mm-hmm. or went out on a field trip, that was much better way of getting jazzed. So I was kind of sad to see that era over yeah but at the same time you have to work with what is you right know? Yeah.
0: yeah yeah looks like i'm the flip i've got the three boys and then i have a girl
1: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. exactly let's see what the next few years brings right <laughs> right um, right but i also think it might have been one of the advantages if my kids had been sprinkled like boy girl boy girl more sort of yeah. sprinkled around like that there would have been less distinct eras and maybe the girls inclination to do projects might have rubbed off on the boys there were other great things about having um the girls first like the boys I never ever had to tell my boys to shower or wear (laughs) deodorant or anything like that like when they got to that age because their sisters would be like you smell you know I hate it when boys smell and it was just never an issue right the boys you know personal hygiene has never been a problem because they had three older (laughs) sisters
2: Yeah, and I think yeah. I think it was less us telling them like you stink, and more them just hearing us complain about the boys who were the our age. Boys. Like, yeah. are teenage boys. Yeah, I haven't showered in like three weeks, probably. <laughs> yeah, and so that okay. was like it was great because
1: I remember a friend of mine who had uh, boys. You know, my boys' ages, and she was saying like, oh my gosh, like to try and make those kids have a shower, yeah. like I would actually have to sit them down and say, okay, listen, you are offensive. Yeah. Right? <laughs> That just never happened in our family, yeah. right? No, and, that's my uh, kids now. Yeah. they're
0: eight, I know. six, and four.
1: I know, yeah, yeah. It'll get worse. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to break it to you. Yeah. I bet. Um, but yeah, for sure. You know, having older sisters was very helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so, so you know, but I think that, <clears throat> you know, I felt like I really cherished those, you know, first, you know, 12 to 15 years of the girls and doing projects with them and doing the kinds of things that were very, I now look back and realize more, was more sort of girl oriented. And yeah. I had that um, time with them because things definitely changed, you know, right. once, once we were into the boy era, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well then, did you notice that like your boys needed more time to develop in their academic learning? Like, you know, the saying is that boys reach maturity later you know so did that kind of affect
1: yeah. their schooling at all? It can, and i think i think if I think it's important maybe to separate out academics to
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, maybe um you know the uh, uh, e q you know emotional uh quotient sort of thing like like their ability to maybe socialize in an appropriate way or or whatever that. Uh, because my son, my first of my sons was really academically oriented. Right. Mm -hmm. And a friend of ours actually said to us, let him run. So he was done everything he needed to do to graduate by 15, you know? Um, but I would say, so so a couple of my sons are quite academic one definitely he's certainly academic now but definitely took longer i would say two to three years longer than his siblings okay. um to develop uh but i would say the the development of um i'm trying to find a phrase for it but sort of social interaction
2: mm-hmm.
1: definitely took a little longer um there was things with boys that i noticed like boys would sort of like say maybe make jokes with adults that you know could have very easily been taken as an it kind of insulting or pert or or whatever the girls had much more sensitivity to um what was the you know appropriate way to interact with adults or peers for that matter yeah you know um and I would say that's something that took longer. So I think I think it depends on the kid. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a big part of it. Um, but I would say there's certainly something sitting down and doing work, absolutely took longer. Even for my extremely academic son, definitely took longer to sort of have that be something. You know, like say 20 minutes would be a max, and then you know, boom, I need to do something active before I can sit down again.
2: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Did All you right. have any question? Yeah. Yeah, I had, yes. so she she didn't specifically ask me to ask this question, but it's something we've been discussing. Right. I have a friend who English is, it's actually her third language. Oh. So she, yeah, she's uh from Argentina. So her first language is Spanish and her husband is Brazilian. So she also speaks Portuguese. Okay. And then English is her third language. They live in Canada now and are raising their children in an English speaking country and community Mm -hmm. and they their children all speak English but they at home they primarily speak Spanish and also Portuguese cool so she's homeschooling her kids her daughters her oldest daughter is about 10 um and so far you know they're loving it they they love homeschooling they hope to continue homeschooling but her fear is that because her own English isn't her first language her, her English is very good but it is no, definitely not her first language and, work. and work, right? yeah. speaking she does very well but her writing is not as uh, fluent or proficient and she's concerned about homeschooling her children through high school because her own English is not proficient. Right. Do you you have any commentary on that or suggestions of where to go for support or encouragement about continuing to homeschool through high school in a language that is not Your Your
1: own language. Well, yeah, okay. So interestingly, I've had this question come up a few times. You know, we're a bilingual family. Uh, we speak French at home or we speak Spanish at home or whatever. Um, and English is my second language. How do I approach this? I love the idea of not using curriculum, but how do I how do I look at this? So there's been a few times this question has come up over the last, I would say three or four years, which I've just answered with a with a kind of a standard answer, um, that that first of all, do dictation in, in all the languages. So both languages or all three languages in, in her case. Okay. So, so maybe one week in English, one week in Portuguese, one week in Spanish, vary the languages, find sources. They probably have them, you know, kids books in Spanish, kids books in Portuguese, kids books in English, so that you can use those things for dictation. Right. And so through that, not only is the child going to learn the written language skills of those languages,
2: but I think you would too, as the mother right so here's my question as the mother, if you don't know the names of the parts of speech in English, right. and what different grammatical techniques are called in English, or you know things like that yeah english um sort of
1: grammar and punctuation gra- yeah grammar yeah.
2: and punctuation and yeah. and the theory behind it how do you teach that through dictation if you if you yourself if you don't, don't know even it. know it that well or, that... or someone who's just not good at english yeah. some people really struggle like some people struggle with math yeah, <laughs> yeah. How, okay. how do you how do you teach something that you don't
1: that you're not utterly familiar especially with especially
2: yeah. in, in a method like dictation where it's it's very organic
1: Right. You kind of have to have the knowledge. This is the question that I, I can't tell you how many times I've had this question because most people, I have had people who have come and they have masters in English, right? They are English teachers, okay? And they're going to homeschool their kids and they don't know some of the basic tenets of how to teach something at that level right mm-hmm. and so this is really common so when i my first probably five or six years of doing dictation i didn't know those things either i had at the time i had a little paperback dictionary that had all the grammar and uses usage and punctuation rules in the first you know 10 or 20 pages of the dictionary i kept it beside me 100 of the time so that as soon as we came up like oh what are those two dots mean? You know, oh well, that's Let's look that up. That's a colon. Oh, and the reason they've used it is, what are the reasons you use a colon? Oh, look at that, right? So I literally learned along with my kids. And it's such a good question because now those things come easy. But in the first few years, I really had to be learning along with my kids, okay? And so, and I would say 90% of the questions that I get about this come from English speaking, highly educated, parents Mm -hmm. who are saying I should know this stuff Mm -hmm. right like Mm -hmm. I did a paragraph writing class as a master class a month or so ago and these are one of the moms had a PhD Mm -hmm. right and she said why didn't I learn how to write a paragraph like this before I you know started my university education right yeah unbelievable like highly highly educated people who have figured it out along the way, but wouldn't mm. life have been so much easier if they had the absolute basics down rock solid yeah. before they entered into essay writing and that sort of thing. Right. Right. So there's a, so I have several um, things on my Pinterest page. Uh, one is called dictation. It's just uh, helps for dictation. Mm-hmm. And there's really clever moms out there who've done like posters of parts of speech, posters of punctuation posters of grammar rules i'm gonna do this like some of them are printable some of them you have to pay for but they're all i have lots of those on my pinterest page because there's many talented people Um, i like doing graphics and i'm one of my little projects right now is it'll probably be the end of the summer before i actually get them done but to develop those pages for people just starting homeschooling Mm -hmm. okay when do i capitalize when do i punctuate when, what grammar rules do I need to know? So kind of the very basic stuff mm-hmm. um, so that they can just make it a printable, like the planning pages, just make it a printable that they can print out from my website. So that is something I'm working on right now okay. because probably in four or five pages, just printed out pages, you could either put them up on your wall so you can refer to them or keep them in a little duotang beside your desk so that you can refer to them with your child. But that should not, you know, a humility question, right? don't be afraid to sit there and, wow, I don't know. Let's look that up, yeah. right? It's really important that we learn to do that with our kids, and we end up learning something really, really well because of it, right? Yes. So I would say for the for the non-English speakers, the same thing is like, wow. You know, like when I see question marks in Spanish, you know, and they put a question mark at both ends of the sentence, mm-hmm. it's like, uh, excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but if I had a Spanish, something that just explained that to me, you know, this is how you do this, right. right? That that would be really helpful in the learning of Spanish, right? This is how you do this. Um, so I think that that's something that that we need to just be prepared to learn alongside our child about, but have yeah. some really good resources. So Pinterest page, I also, there's a book my daughter has that's fantastic called um, The Usborne Book of Grammar and Punctuation. So it's built for students, probably grades, Three, four, five middle school years. Yeah. But really helpful as a mom to have sitting beside you, this is when we use a period, this is when we capitalize, this is when we do this, right? Okay. Yeah.
2: As you're explaining that, it's making me remember a book that I really loved in high school um for that same purpose, but it was uh Strunken Whites, the elements of style.
1: Yes, absolutely. And certainly as they get older, just, when really they get valuable, older, yeah, yeah.
2: But I'll have to look at that Osborne book.
1: yeah Yeah. for for your kids your age absolutely fantastic just to have sitting beside you right and you could actually read it as one of those you know i always talk about sort of reading something for five minutes before you start your novel yeah that would be a terrific book Mm -hmm. if i had had it 10 years ago i would have used it as a oh look at this you know just as a point of discussion yeah you know but really valuable yeah yeah
0: great well we're coming up on time do we want one more question or save it for Ooh, we are Um, should we do one
1: more? Yeah. Up to it? Yeah, let's do one. Okay.
0: More. It, this might be a loaded one so you can <laughs> add it on to next episode. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on sticker charts, stamps or prizes for toddlers and young children it's specifically for
1: behavior. Right. Uh, yeah, that's definitely a loaded question. Mm-hmm. Um, I am two things. A I'm not going to judge parents. Sticker charts, <laughs> <laughs> okay? You know, um, I don't think they're necessary, and I don't think they're helpful, right? Some kids, yes, will will get jazzed about. Okay, I get to put my sticker on on whatever. Um, in most cases, I have not found that sort of thing to be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of gaining cooperation, mm-hmm. okay? So when we want to gain cooperation from our child um Mm -hmm. i i'm going to point in a direction okay so this whole idea we've talked about this before but this whole idea of rewards and consequences okay um by the way i a few people have signed up for a class that i have was supposed to be this coming saturday they've been contacted anyone who signed up for it but lots of interest, but the summertime problem of lots of people having company or having plans or whatever. So we bumped it to September 5th. Okay. Which I'll, I'll put in the show notes and I'll put on Facebook, um, that, so it's a kind of carrot and stick talk. Okay. What, if not carrot and stick, then what? Okay. So stickers and check, you know, check mark boxes and all of that definitely falls into the carrot and stick category in the younger years that can seem like a really harmless um, mm-hmm. paradigm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Except as they get older, you have to bump up with most kids. You have to bump up the rewards and consequences in order to gain the same cooperation. Mm-hmm. And it's the same story of it, uh, at some point really is, do you really want to be threatening them with, you know, um, you can't go hang out your, with your friends or you can't eat dinner with us or you can't whatever. Um, do we really want to be addressing rewards and consequences in that way with our older children and that is how you're forming them when you're starting with sticker charts that is the formation that you are planning as a parent right so you're laying a foundation that you may not want to be dealing with later on okay Mm -hmm. so big 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 topic uh so i'm going to make some recommendations if you have a little bit older kids i would say eight or ten and up um hold on to your kids a fantastic resource um, not a necessarily, a, it's not a hard book to read, but I would say it's not gripping in the same way that, you know, we would, some parenting books would be, but the, the content is invaluable. Um, and also uh, Judy Arnold's books, Discipline Without Distress, actually any of Judy Arnold's books on discipline are fantastic. And sort of the, the um, guide in the back is, okay, when my child is doing this behavior, what do I do? right? Instead, right. if I, rewards and consequences aren't the option I'm looking for, what do I do, right? To gain their cooperation. Right. Um, so those are some resources, but if you really want to delve into this topic more, I'm doing a couples class, um, on September 5th about the idea of carrot and stick and what we will be doing in that masterclass or sort of just delving into that in a big way. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. right. Okay. All right. Is that a wrap?
0: Yeah, that's a wrap. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: yeah all right well we'll uh, we'll uh, say good night
0: yes it was and, nice meeting um, you lucy yeah you too Elizabeth. you'll have to come back or just hop on zoom
1: sometime. i know yeah for sure. well, she's here for like four more thursdays so yeah oh okay
2: <laughs> i could become a regular i know she's
1: yeah. t- good, yeah. i love it okay good night <laughs> good night